Welcome to Pediatric Dentistry from A to T, the podcast that covers all aspects of pediatric dentistry, clinical, business, wellness for dentists, and leading edge science. It's all right here. And now your host, Dr. Jared Johnson. Welcome back. We have part two of associate to partner and associate to uh, true ownership. And we've got edge advisors, CPAs, Jack and Marshall back. If you didn't catch our last episode, go back. And that's got a lot of great pearls for you dentists out there that are looking to become a partner or an owner, things to consider and financial considerations, as well as some of the uh, clinical tips that you may be able to actually increase the value of the practice that you're buying uh, that Marshall uh, tacked on there. So go back and listen to that if you haven't. Welcome back again, Jack and Marshall. Thanks for having us, Jared. Yeah, this episode, we're going to talk a little bit more about building your team and when you build that. So I built my team kind of before I opened my own office. So I really had to get my team together before. But if you're going to go out and become an owner or partner, there's going to be a lot of people and a lot of questions that you're going to have to answer and you don't know what you don't know. And if you don't find the right people, I think you could end up making a mistake and that could cost you a lot of money down the road. So what are some team members that we're going to need to look for here when we're going out to make this investment in ourselves to become an owner and potentially double our income? Yeah. So um, typically on the, on the team, when we look at building the team, we're going to see a banker. Uh, if you're going to buy a practice, we're going to need some type of financing. Um, we're going to see an attorney, right? I want to make sure everything is buttoned up. Uh, I's are dotted, T's are crossed from a legal perspective. An accountant. And then a lot. sometimes we'll see an insurance agent in there also in the beginning, at least, uh, to make sure that when the deal closes, the right insurances are in place. Um and, and one thing I, I think as far as, uh, you know, when you're finding that practice and building that team, it can it can work in two separate ways. You can uh, an example being you could you could be two years into a four year associate contract and you know, you're kind of having that entrepreneurial itch and, you know, you want to be an owner and you might start building your team. Right. And, and knowing that you're two years out, that's OK. You, you want the accountant to see your financials and do your taxes. You want to go to the bank and have them understand what your goals are. Um, and inverse to that, you may have a practice that falls in your lap in a way, and you may need to build your team a little faster, right? Uh, and more on the backside. And neither one neither one is, is right yeah. or wrong. Um, just again, kind of understanding where you think, where you're going and, and where you want to get to as far as when that team kind of comes into play. Yeah. And I think, you know, in a perfect world, right, the former makes more sense yeah. than the latter. That's not usually how it works, right. right? It's like every other business, you jump off a cliff and you learn how to build a plane, right, is, is the old expression. And that's what it is. It can still be done correctly. You can still build a good team even after you find a practice, right? Yeah. Um, but again, perfect world, you have that built in front. So you're not either hamstrung by the time frame of a deal. Because um, typically, if these people are in line, you have financing, right? banking, we have legal squared away, you can close in a rapid period versus where if you're trying to cobble things together, like you said, Jared, things could get missed. Um, 
get a bad deal, right? Whatever, all those different considerations too. But we've seen them work work both ways. Let's start with um, with this team. We'll break this down a little bit more. Let's start with the bank because you got to have money to pay the owner to buy the office, right? So there are some misconceptions out there that I think dentists need to understand is that you're going to be able to get a loan. I, when I walked out of residency, I was a reverse millionaire. I had $1.5 million in debt and I didn't put a single dime down for my practice loan. And it was over a million dollars. Banks know that I think it's less than 2% of dentists default on their loans. So you're a very safe investment for them. And can you go into a little bit more about the, the lending behind this and some maybe misconceptions that dentists may have? Like you said, I think the biggest one is, okay, I want to buy a practice for a million dollars, right? That's just the number we'll use. I don't have 20% down, right? People think like it's a house. Um, that That's not the world that dentists live in, um, especially on a practice note itself, 100% finance. That is the norm uh, for those types of things. And, you know, well, I've got a bunch of debt. They won't lend to me. You darn right they will. <laughs> like you said, 2%, um, you know, default rate in today's world, that's microscopic. I mean, that's about the safest investment that a bank can make. And that's why they're so eager, um, you know, to, to do dental lending. And we're starting to see more players every day get into that market, right? Especially, you know, with an uncertain economy coming. So um, from a financing point, another piece to kind of hit on too is I wouldn't get locked into one person right out of the gates too. I think one thing that we always preach is, Hey, let's talk to three or four people, right? And that's, you know, leverage your CPA, leverage the person that you're working with, um, you know, from that standpoint and say, hey, who? give me three, four banks, people that you've worked with in the past that you've had great success with. And by that, I mean, rates that are solid, follow through afterwards, easy to communicate with. Um, those are going to be the biggest pieces to that loan puzzle because interest rates are moving at all different times. Um, and some of these banks have incentives They're trying to get into the market and they are a half point lower than everybody for no reason whatsoever. So um, have a couple different options, but know that financing, generally speaking, is readily available uh, for practicing dentists. And you're probably going to have to go to one of these bigger banks that works with dentists here. One of the challenges when I came to my area, the bank came and they wanted to take my loan and they the local bank just could not compete with these big dental lenders like U.S. Bank, Bank of America, Bank of the West. And then also, like you said, I would get them all to compete because what's that saying? What's that commercial? When banks compete, you win. I forget which one that is. <laughs> I don't know if it's Rocket Mortgage or something where you do that. I but right. um, when I went to refinance my note on, on my equipment, I went to all the banks, got the rate, and I was getting ready to do that. And Bank of America came and they said, no, no, we're going to actually – make a better offer than what they have and give you another 10th of a percent lower. If you refinance with us and we'll keep it. So that's a great tip to go to different banks. And you may also need to also consider just opening an account at your local bank. Like I can't go and deposit cash at bank of America. If there's not a bank of America in the community that I'm in, I'm in a rural area, so there's not. So we, we do have some local bank accounts, but that's something to consider as well i think your attorney um is going to be pretty straightforward and then i would also would you recommend finding someone 
dental specific for insurance. I think there are some nuances that you need to know for, for insurance. Would you agree? Yeah, I, I think insurance and, and legal, actually, we, you know, we use about a network of four or five in the Midwest um, attorneys that do a lot of work in the dental market. Right. And, you know, a, 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 attorneys are attorneys in a way, but when they understand um, different types of structures and they understand different types of work back agreements and Sometimes there's associate agreements that are attached to purchase agreements. So if they, the more that they understand about how the dental practice operates from an you know an employee day to day standpoint, I think that can help. Um, so if there is someone in your area, and, and again the team kind of says, yeah, we you know they're doing a really good job in that market um, in the legal world, I we like using them. It makes it easier. Um, and then from the insurance standpoint, again, right, you've got malpractice insurance, you've got work comp insurance, you've got general business insurance, you've got disability insurance, you've got disability overhead insurance, you've got life insurance that needs to be attached to your bank loan. I mean, and again, I, we can keep going here. Right. That's there a whole nother. A lot, a lot of insurance. There's a lot of insurances out there and the insurances, some of them are tax deductible. Some of them are best after tax. Um, so there's a lot going on there that you just kind of need to make sure you're covering all those bases from your insurance provider. And then one other thing that maybe we should probably get into here a little bit is also, we didn't talk about this on the last episode, but let's say you're purchasing the entire practice. It's probably housed somewhere like at a physical location, right? <laughs> uh, There's walls and a roof and those sorts of things. Yeah. yeah. You got to consider if you're, if they're leasing that or what, what if you're going to buy the building? What are the considerations there to buy that from the owner? Should you buy it from the owner? Yeah. And that's a great question. And I think there's, that's a nuanced answer, like everything else, right? We're tax people. So it depends is in front of everything we say. Um, but you know, I think it depends on a lot of different factors, right? Condition of the building. I think your long-term goals is another huge piece on if you want to purchase the building or kind of the least area you're in. Um, we see a lot of young doctors that, okay, they're starting with a five operatory, but they have bigger aspirations than that, right? They want an associate or a partner and they want a 10-op practice. That's the Taj Mahal of dentistry. Um, those are all things to think about, Um and then from a financing piece, I guess, from the real estate, I guess nuts to nuts, we would say buy the real estate if you can, right? Yeah. It, it's just one less variable that you have to deal with. You don't have to worry about a, a bad landlord, him kicking you out, him selling. There's a new landlord that wants the space. Um, so anytime you can remove variability, especially one that's as big as, um, you know, where your building is and where you have your equipment housed and where clients are used to coming to. I think we would recommend that. Now, yes isn't the answer always, but generally speaking, I think yes is the answer. Yeah. And I think when you look at building valuations, again, the, the bank helps with some of that too. But if the normal lease rate would pay the mortgage payment, you might as well build some equity. Right. Right. That's kind of a simple nuts and bolts thing. Like why just rate, waste 100% of a lease payment? Um, and, then, you know, we touched on banking and structure a little bit. Uh, in the past, what we've seen some of our clients do is um, banks will finance 100% of a practice. They will traditionally only finance 80% of a building. But for a seller, for them to actually sell their building, 
A lot of times they want to do that because it's a big asset to them. It reduces their risk and it creates liquidity. So in many situations, the seller will actually hold 20% of the building purchase price in a seller note. So to your example, you may you may be have student debt of $500,000 and own a home and kind of be upside down, but you can go get a million dollar bank note for a practice and a $600,000 bank note for a building. And yeah, you owe the seller of the building a couple hundred thousand dollars on, on the building also in a seller note, but um, you basically own you know, almost $2 million of assets, so to speak, with $0 out of your pocket. Um, that's pretty common, right? Wow. It is. Can you repeat that again? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what do you do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the 20% down piece, right? That That's the big bugaboo here. Either it's cash, right? Yeah. I've seen loans for it through banks. Again, not as common. It, it's generally speaking, either you have cash for 20% down or the seller acts as a bank for that 20%. So let's, for example, say the real estate's worth a million bucks, right? Traditional financing will take care of 800,000. How do I bridge the gap on that last 200? It's either cash or the seller will create a note, right? A private note between you two for that last 200,000 to get you to the finish line. That That's the, the seller financing piece. Yeah, I didn't really understand that was a possibility. So that's a wonderful yeah. option for you to come out. And I think a lot of practice owners probably, I didn't know about that until our conversation today. So I think a lot of people that are listening, maybe on the other end of the spectrum, looking to sell their practice would want to know that. And then another thing that you mentioned before that I have no clue what the heck this is. So you'll have to enlighten me. It's, it's called seller work back. What is that? So, so the, the seller work back is, when the selling doctor um, is contractually obligated or says that they will work in the practice for a period of time, right? So maybe a, um, a, a good analogy for it would be if someone sells their practice to like a DSO type or a GPO group, um, a lot of times they say, okay, we will buy your practice, but you have to work here for two years. Right. That's an extended seller work back in a private practice, one doctor to one doctor type situation. Um, sometimes you'll ask them to work a day a week. Right. That may be mentorship. That may be patient retention. Um, sometimes you want to like the it's better from a tax perspective to close the deal on December 31st. But you need to give your 90 day notice and you can't start working till April 1st. So you'll actually buy that practice on December 31st. The seller will work for you for three months while you work off your 90-day notice. And then you have you own the practice the entire time, but that's like the seller work back piece. So those are you know kind of two examples of where that may make some sense. Um, but again, that's that's really the CPA um and the attorney, and then of course the deal structure that are kind of putting that together to make sure that it makes sense. And it sounds like that might also, you hear a lot of these horror stories about associates going into offices and the owners doing all the crowns and you're sitting there doing all the class two composites all day. That might kind of take that a little bit out of the picture too, because at the end of the day, you're the owner and they're working for you at this point. So it might be a good way to structure things. So it's a little more fair and equitable when you walk in and 
are actually going to be practicing there to be doing those procedures. So that's a, yeah. a great way. Also, I think you hit on the 90 days. I mean, a lot of people might be worried about how I'm ready to go now. How do I get into this deal and have it work and not have it slip through my fingers and, and go to someone else? So that's something that point about the the 90 days and your contract and getting out of that, that is beneficial, I think, for people to know as well. Yeah. And there's just a, there's a lot of things there that just quickly touch on, like from a tax perspective, most tax laws change at the end of the year. So a deal on 1231 could be very different than a deal on one, one. And um, again, from a seller's perspective, if the tax law is going to change and let's just say capital gain rates are going to go away on one, one, you want to do that deal on 1231 even if you need to have a seller work back for 90 days, right? So that can be buyer beneficial, that can be seller beneficial, it can be mutually beneficial, um, right? So that component does exist in deal structure. Do you ever see with closing these deals with with clients and buyers, sellers, do you ever see what are like red flags on either end that you might wanna look out for that, I mean, we, we wanna be fair and we wanna be equitable to everyone. What are some things that you've seen that are things both that come both I guess parties should look out for? I you know, I, I was just dealing with one the other day where the selling doctor said, Oh, I want to work for two days a week or whatever that scenario might be. Right. He becomes the associate of the new buyer, right? Um I, my recommendation would there be is just you need to have some sort of a time frame established or make sure you guys are on the same page on that front because we've seen it where, Hey, who's, who's in charge here, right? This other doctor still practicing two days a week. I've seen it where they say, Oh, I've been seeing Jimmy and his kids for 25 years. I'll just take them. Right. And kind of overstep. Um, so be very clear on roles, be very clear on how long you want that time frame to last. If that doc is going to work a couple of days for you or whatever for, for a period, uh, make sure you're on the same page. And then just, you know, cash flow. Right. Everybody obviously wants has an asset here. Every seller has an asset, and and you know the majority of them are trying to maximize the value of the asset. Uh, but as a buyer, it's important that you know, along with some of the procedural things we talked about in the first episode, that it it really does just cash flow, right? And the price isn't so high that you're going to be handicapped by a loan payment. Um, that I think is obviously number one that that you want to make sure that you're good going in. And then we, as far as the loan payment, so let's get into that. You just uh, this popped into my mind. So you're gonna be obviously, this is all gonna be passed through a corporation, correct? I guess we didn't really touch on that. So that loan payment is gonna come out of the business on the balance sheet, and you're gonna have the interest on the profit and loss. Is that correct? You got it. Yep. So it's not like you're personally guaranteeing the loan, but this is actually a business expense. I think people need to make that clear that you're not taking a W-2 and then paying that back on the other end. It's It all runs through your corporation and your office, right? Yeah. So the business piece, that's like the operating practice piece, that's accurate. The real estate piece can be different. That might not run through the traditional means that you're standing for, but you're absolutely on the right track there. And you may have a separate corporation for the real estate and pay yourself rent and then run everything through that and just keep it flat and even so you're not dealing with 
with too much of a surprise on the other end of that. So <laughs> all these things to consider when moving into being an owner. And I think it's exciting. I think there's a lot of opportunity. I think it's where a lot of young dentists want to be. And I think what you said earlier about the opportunity that's going to be presenting, it's either going to go one of two ways. It's either going to be these private practice being preserved, or we're going to have dental support organizations um, will be like a Walgreens or a CVS. So it'll be interesting to see how things play out here in the next few years. And uh, oh. lots of things will be changing. So I, I appreciate you both coming on the show again. What's a great way if someone's looking at either maybe looking into a, a dental specific CPA or looking into practice opportunities? I mean, we talked about building your team. There may be no better time if you're looking at the stuff than right now to make a connection because you may not need them now, but if you're in two years out, you want to have a relationship with someone that can really support you have your back. I think that's a, a key consideration. And what's a way we can get in contact with Edge Advise? So our, our uh, main email that we um, connect with people on is curious at edgeadvise.com. So you can just send a, really send an introduction email. Yeah. And, you know, our general philosophy is uh, we like to return those within, you know, a, a day or two if it's if it's kind of backing up against something. But um, yeah, we'll just reach back out. Yeah, and you know, we're more yeah, Marshall and I are CPAs, but I think it's also important to say that there's a transition piece within Edge as well that handles the buying and selling of practices. So again, we we do have a brokerage arm here as well. So uh, just another resource if that's something up your alley as well. Well, wonderful. Uh, we're looking forward to having you back for episode three here. And I appreciate both of you taking the time to educate us a little more on all the avenues of, of things that go along with becoming an owner. Thanks, Jared. Thanks, Jared. Thank you for listening to Pediatric Dentistry from A to T. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss a future episode. For more information or to connect with Dr. Johnson, visit us online at www dot pediatric dental ce dot com for more tips and tricks follow pediatric dental seminars on facebook and instagram thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time